It is a joy for me to be here. I thank Session, Pastor Dale, Pastor Wayne, all the others responsible for the leading of this church, and I have the joy of being God's instrument today. So I ask you to please open your Bibles in Luke chapter 22. We're going to read two passages for the message tonight. So we're going to learn from two different moments in Peter's life. Luke chapter 22 is the first passage. We're going to read verses 31 to 34, and then we're going to go to his first epistle, 1 Peter chapter 1. So starting with Luke 22, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Peter said to him, Lord, I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. Jesus said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow this day until you deny three times that you know me. Now turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 1. Let's read from verse 3 to verse 12. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that, the, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him, and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning the salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven." things into which angels long to look. So the title of my message, as you can see from the bulletin, is Grow in the Grace and Knowledge of Our Lord's Protection. And I took that out of the last verse written by Peter in his second epistle. He writes, grow, he admonishes his readers, grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. I think that is a broad statement that could be taken as a mission statement, so to speak, for our Christian lives, right? I mean, we could say, my goal in life is to grow in the grace and knowledge of my Lord and Savior. And I think Peter did. I think that became sort of his mission statement, his goal in life. And I would argue that Peter's epistles are a testimony to his own growth in that grace and knowledge. See, the Peter we see in the book of Acts, for example, and in the epistles is quite different from the Peter from the Gospels. 
And we all know some of the mistakes he made in the Gospels. And when he writes some things in the epistles, we see somebody who matured. I mean, think of how courageous and self-sacrificing he became after Christ's resurrection. Think about it. I mean, the Peter who denied Jesus in the Gospels faces the Jewish council with boldness in the book of Acts. That's after the resurrection. The Peter who tried to dissuade Christ from the path of suffering and death was now leading the apostles as they were being arrested and beaten for their faith. It's the same Peter, but he changed. The Peter who kept children away from the Messiah and who couldn't understand why Samaritans were heroes in Jesus' stories, he's now preaching to Cornelius, treating Gentiles as equals. Everybody having the same, being the same recipients of Christ's promises. So we can't deny that Peter, after the resurrection, did in fact grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So I would say that he's teaching here in the first epistle with maturity. In a way, his epistles are a connection to his own experience of growth. I would say that occasionally he touches on areas in which he misunderstood during the time he was walking with Christ. He didn't get it. But then again, he matured by the work of the Holy Spirit. There are several topics like that where you can see Peter getting it wrong and then Peter teaching so beautifully in his epistles. And I want to talk about one topic out of the several of those, one topic, and that is God's preservation of the saints or God's protection of his children. I think that's one of the areas in which he definitely understood better as he um, did the work of the apostle. Now, even though I'm taking a text from the second epistle to talk about growth and preaching from the first epistle, uh, I would say that that's a theme that is present throughout uh, uh, Peter's writings. Even in the first epistle, chapter 2, verse 2, it says that he desires us to be like newborn infants, longing for the spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation. So growth is something in Peter's mind from the beginning of his writings until the end. That seems to be important to him. So I want to talk today about that, about uh, uh, his, his, ad, his admonishment, his encouragement for people to grow. And I, I'm dividing the sermon into two parts. We're working with the two uh, texts we read. The first part, I want to talk about uh, Luke's passage and focus on um, why we need to grow. Why is it that we need to grow? Why is it that it's so hard for us? What happens that we don't grow as often as we would like or as quickly as we would like? And then we're going to look at 1 Peter and see the manner in which we should grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord's protection. So first part, let's look at Luke's passage. Um, in this uh, first part, I want to ask why. Why is it that we need to grow in understanding and appreciation of our Lord's protection? And I think the, the quick answer to that is because we, there is a possibility, and I think it's, it's a more common possibility that some, than sometimes we admit, that we face some of the challenges in our lives without claiming total dependency upon God. I call this perseverance without preservation. I'm referring to the famous doctrine of the perseverance of the saints that some theologians like to call the preservation of the saints because they want to highlight the work of God. Now, preservation is not more correct than perseverance because Scripture talks about both things, about the work of God holding on to us and about our walk being one of persistency, of 
persevering. So I would like both of them to be understood as one, as two sides of the same coin. In fact, the canons of Dort that talk so thoroughly about this topic, they use both expressions. They talk about perseverance and they talk about preservation. So one is not better than the other. However, one without the other is a problem. And I think that Peter is an example of what we do oftentimes, which is try to persevere without the preservation of the Lord, without understanding how the Lord protects us and preserves us. So I want to give you an example that's very simple, very easy for us to grasp. I mean, think of how, how humanistic um, people are in, in, when they face sufferings, when they, when they try to show that they, they can do it, you know, uh, almost in a stoic manner, say, you know, I'm, I can do it. Self-sufficiency and autonomy are applauded in the culture we live, okay? Not only in your culture, but in mine as well. People applause those who can do it on their own, that don't depend upon others, because that's weak, you know, oftentimes you'll hear people applaud phrases like, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. Nietzsche became famous, at least it's attributed to him. And, and, and you know what? People think like that and even do science like that. I mean, one of the things that we hear in science that gets people very excited is how humans can adapt when they face challenges. They can adapt. They, can, they, they have the ability to do it. And we celebrate that. See, we celebrate to a point that a human being is, is just applauded and people get excited about that. And I think Christians are not immune to that mentality. See, we all like stories of people who overcome unsurmountable trials. We like underdogs, don't we? We like those who come from behind and they make it. That's beautiful for, for us. We love that. I think it touches upon something that is our desire oftentimes to do it on our own strength. I'm inclined to think that uh, this kind of reasoning is more common among us than we often realize. And the reason I, I say that is because this was common in Peter's day. It was common in Peter himself. And this is a man who walked with Christ for three whole years, listening to the best teacher one could ever hear. And he still struggled with it. He still had a hard time. The passage of Luke 22 shows us Peter thinking he was able to withstand trials in the strength of his own commitment. Okay, just like Peter, who at one moment can utter the most beautiful confession about Christ, and at the next moment he's trying to dissuade Christ from going to the cross, I think we oftentimes show spiritual instability. We can also do that. You know, we are so disappointed with ourselves. It sadden us, saddens us to a point where we want to cry that oftentimes we're singing beautifully here and we mean it. It's not that we don't mean it. We mean it. We love Jesus. But then we're doing something stupid the next moment, right? So our instability is so humiliating it saddens us. It, it makes us want to cry. We often show immaturity about a lot of things concerning the trials of this world and the protection of our God. That's why I want to look at Luke 22 and see a few things that Christ teaches Peter that we need to remember again and again. So, 
Please open uh, your Bible again to Luke 22, and let's look at four areas. I'm going to, to help you remember this, if you'd like to take notes, I'm going to talk about four areas that Peter needed to grow in, and they always start with an I, okay? So it's it, just to make it easier to remember. So the first one is the intensity of, the li- of life's trials, the intensity of life's trials. So verse uh, 31 says this, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. Now, isn't it striking that uh, Jesus called him by his normal name, not by his redeemed name? You know what I'm saying? It's not Peter, Peter. It's not rock, rock, solid, solid. No, 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 it's Simon, Simon. And I think there's a reason for that. It's to get him to think low of himself. Simon, Simon, behold, pay attention, careful. Satan is after you. He wants to sift you. That's the idea of of going through painful trials. So the first thing that Peter needs to learn is that trials are more intense than we in our frailty can bear. Second thing that Jesus teaches him is the intercession that preserves us. So the first one is the intensity of life's trials. The second one is the intercession that preserves us. Look at verse uh, 32. Jesus says, But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. I have prayed for you. That is so... I mean, at one moment, Jesus is saying something disappointing to Peter. Peter, uh, careful and... uh, You might go down, by the way, but I have prayed for you. And the intercession that preserves us is the only reason why his faith would not fail. Christ would pray for him. In fact, if you you look at your Bible again, there's something in, in our first reading that we don't notice, but that is so, so important to know. Uh, in verse 1, when it says Satan demanded to have you, it's you plural. In verse 32, but I have prayed for you, it's you singular. So what the text is telling us is Satan is going to attack lots of you. But Peter, I have prayed for you specifically. There's a preservation of him in particular that he hears from the Lord's lips. So he's preserving him. The sovereign Lord wants to preserve Peter that his faith might not fail. Third thing that Peter needs to learn is the inconsistency of our Christian walk. The inconsistency of our Christian walk. At the end of verse 32, um, Christ says, and when you have turned again, when you have turned again, he didn't, he didn't even say, so you're going to fall. He just went right to the, when you turn again. Isn't it interesting? I mean, it's implicit here, you're going to fall. Oh no, okay, just so you know, you're going to fall. Um, so, it implies that Peter would certainly fall into temptation, and, and Peter should have learned that. I mean, Peter, is, he has a record of inconsistency. Think of that uh, disciple who, when sees Jesus walking on water, he says, I want to go, Lord. He says, come. Well, he goes, and he's doing okay for a while. But Peter is not the great ex- example of consistency. He should have learned. He should have learned. But so should we, shouldn't we? We want to do great things for God before having God become great for us. You understand what I'm saying? We would love to do great things for God 
But we often try to do that before God becomes great in our sight. And that's what happened to Peter that caused the inconsistency. It's only later when Peter grasped the greatness of his supreme pastor that he really understood the importance of humbling oneself. Fourth thing that Peter needs to learn and Christ teaches him is the insistence from God in using us. The insistence from God in using us. And I love this. I love this. This is gospel at its best. He says, verse 32 again, but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. I love this because, see, Peter's fall and consequent restoration did not disqualify him to encourage other Christians. He didn't say, Peter, sit out a little bit, okay? I mean, after what you... No, that doesn't happen. It does not disqualify him because he's going to be restored. God insists on using us. In fact, do you remember how careful our Savior was when he confronted Peter? Peter, do you love me? Lord, you know I love you. Peter, do you love me? Second time. Lord, I love you. Peter, third time, do you love me? And then he, he's sad. He knows that Christ is making a reference to his threefold denial. Do you love me? Lord, you know all things, and you know that I love you. The three times Jesus says, feed my lamb, tend my sheep, feed my sheep. See, God is insistent in using people like us. He wants to use broken vessels that have been put together by His grace again and again. That's the encouragement that provided, uh, um, that gave Peter the, the motivation to write what he's writing. I would say the first Peter is an example of him uh, following the commission. He is feeding the sheep. He is uh, taking care of the sheep. So, coming back to Luke 22, Peter responds in a way that we know the story. He says, Lord, I'm ready to go with you both to prison and to death. He's saying, Lord, I think you don't get it. I'm really with you till the end. That's when he doesn't get his condition, right? And then the Lord has to be more explicit than he was before. He says, before the, uh, the crow, look at this. Before the rooster will not crow this day, you will deny three times that you know me. I mean, this will happen soon, Peter. It's not like this is going to happen like two months from now. It's going to happen soon. Um, before we throw stones at Peter thinking he doesn't understand grace at all, I just want to call your attention to one thing that's happening here. Uh, there's a, a humanistic way of understanding uh, things that is very subtle. And it can happen to Peter like it did, and it can happen to us. See, Peter uh, is not saying, Lord, I don't need you. He, he understands uh, that uh, he was transformed. I mean, he's not a skeptic. He understands the importance of grace to transform you. He knows he was a fisherman before, and now he's a fisher of men. And that was Jesus doing. He knows that. However, um, true Christians don't portray full autonomy, but they do oftentimes trust in their own commitment. Lord, I'm committed. Are you committed? I'm committed, Lord. And this is not the first time that Peter got it wrong. 
I mean, I'll show you very briefly another story that you remember well. When Christ is going to come, call Peter and other disciples to become fisher of men, he is teaching. He's the master. He's teaching. After his teaching, he says, Peter, cast the nets. Peter says, Lord, we worked all night and it wasn't good, but you said it. I'll respect you. So his skepticism is there, but he throws the nets, and then it, he, he witnesses the most miraculous a a fisherman's story one has ever heard, right? I mean, and this happened. This is amazing. And the miracle is so daunting on him that he says, Lord, depart from me. Now, we usually look at the verse and say, wow, this is beautiful response to God's holiness. And it is, but that's not Christ's purposes. See, he doesn't depart from Peter at that moment. He transforms him into fisher of men. See, when we understand the grandeur of our Lord and Savior, it doesn't require that we be away from Him, that we distance ourselves from Him. No, it's the opposite. Jesus revealed Peter's sin in His greatness in order for Peter to be healed. So he had experienced that before. And he's experiencing again. And he still doesn't get it. You see the point? Even a disciple like him takes a while to get it. And I, I think we do too. I think we oftentimes do it. I'll give a few examples that might happen with you. And think of others, please. Uh, maybe you're prone to encourage people by highlighting one of their virtues or strengths. Maybe you're one of those people. You know, when somebody's sad, somebody feels discouraged, oh, I know you can do it. I, I, I know you, you have the gift. You know, you have the ability. You're so pretty or you're so able. You're, you're so smart or whatever you want to say to encourage one who feels um, downcast. We often do this to our children. When they're discouraged in school or sports or in a relationship, we come to them and we want to make cheer them up. So we talk about their virtues, what we like about them. Well, it may... It can be, the, the, the problem is that we might dangerously lead them to look at their gifts rather than the giver. So we're actually not encouraging them in the Lord's protection. We're talking about what's beautiful in them. Maybe you have often wanted to battle your shameful sins on your own. After all, it's so hard to be exposed, isn't it? So humiliating. And since we know we truly love Jesus, we're going to make it up to him. Now, this time we will. I know I am. So we try one more time to make our commitment work, and we do not feed on our Lord's protection, often mediated through the care of others. See, again, we're trusting our commitment. We love Jesus, and I know it's going to work this time. Maybe you struggle with anxiety or fear. Whether you're worried about being highly qualified in order to get a job you aim, uh, or you want your partner to prove his or her love to you in order for the relationship to go well, or you struggle to be calm about financial issues, or losing a loved one, I think we all need to grow in grace and knowledge of our Lord's protection. I think that's for you, that's for me. And you know what? It was for the readers of this first epistle as well. Just a brief context so you, you understand to whom Peter is writing. He's writing to a group of Christians who are, being, who are suffering. Peter talks about suffering throughout his first epistle. It's, a, it's there in every chapter. And, and they're suffering persecution oftentimes. 
discrimination, disdain, physical mistreatment, some of them, apparently. There were some slaves that were probably being physically mistreated. Of course, not everybody's suffering for the right reasons. Peter, in fact, anticipates that some might be suffering for their misbehavior, but certainly some are afraid and troubled, and they have a hard time understanding that um, a lifestyle of suffering is the right way to go as a Christian. It, it comes as a surprise to them. Peter has to say in the fourth chapter, don't be surprised. He has to say bluntly, don't be surprised. That's the way it is. So what Peter is doing is encouraging them. He's giving them a correct perspective of the Christian life. So think of the readers as people who are befuddled. They are confused with what is happening to them, even as they are in the faith. They need to grow in the grace and knowledge of Christ's protection. So now open again in 1 Peter 1, and let's look at how Peter encourages them. A broad perspective of the work of God in our salvation. That's what he addresses. He's going to show how big is God's salvation for us. And he does it in sort of triadic patterns, threefold, okay? Like he presents the Trinity right at the second verse of the epistle. He says, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father and the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with His blood. So he's talking about the Trinity. In the, the Trinitarian pattern sort of overflows into the passage we read from verse 3 to verse 12. So we see the Father in the first section we're going to deal with, verses 3 to 5, it's mostly about the Father. Verses 6 to 9 is about the Son, is about loving in our relationship with the Son, and the Holy Spirit comes in the third section, which is verses 10 to 12. So when he mentions the Trinity, it's not just to make it pretty, it's not like a greeting so that he can sound uh, theological. He's actually talking to us about the business of salvation being a divine accomplishment from start to finish, from the beginning to the end. And that's important to hear when you're struggling. That's important to hear when you're struggling. So let's look at, at that salvation, that salvation operated by the triune God. See, he, um, he talks about salvation three times in our passage, okay? It, it comes up in verses, the word salvation comes up in verses 5, 9, and 10. And those are the three sections. And each section deals with a different uh, focus. The first one talks about the future. The second one talks about the present. And the third one goes back to the past, so we're going to look at salvation that way. We're going to look at the future perspective, then the present purpose, and last, the past inquired about. So first, the future perspective. That's verses 3 to 5 of 1 Peter 1. So what Peter is doing is he's trying to show that our life uh, is a result of the Father's mercy founded upon the resurrection of Christ for the possession of an eternal inheritance secured by God Himself. That's sort of the summary of that section. I want to unpack that very briefly. So, first uh, uh, idea is that our life is a result of the Father's mercy. You know, I like that, uh, um, that language, that, that our life is God's mercy, because we're used to talking about how we didn't deserve it and we got it. And that is so true. And that's what the gospel talks about all the time. But there's another aspect of God's mercy too in us being born. And that is no one is born by his own will. No one says, you know, I'm going to be born now. Right? That's why the verb is always in the passive, right? When you're learning a language, you, you get those things. 
And, and that happened to me. So you're, you never, you are born, right? You, you never do it actively. And, and it's important to remember that. Why is it important to remember that? Because, see, God's mercy doesn't only provide what we desperately want. God's mercy even gives us what we don't have the slightest idea we need. You see, when people are born again, they didn't have the slightest idea they needed it. The slightest. But then God's mercy hits them. And it's by God's mercy that they have been born again. Then he talks about our life being founded upon the resurrection of Christ. And the resurrection of Christ is a foundation not only for our future bodily resurrection, but also of our past spiritual resurrection. So it's important to say this because he's not talking about the resurrection being important in the future only, but the resurrection being important now. See, that's the lesson that Martha learned with Jesus. Remember, Jesus is approaching her. He's saying, your brother's going to live. He says, yeah, I know that in the last day he's going to resurrect. No, 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 Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. You see, he had to teach her that resurrection life had dawned upon this earth. The life had come to this earth. So it's not about the future only. It's about the present already. Our present life is founded upon the resurrection of Christ. We already enjoy the benefits of a resurrected life in the present. Um, Peter was so impacted by that that he had to remind his readers where their life was founded upon. Then he also talks about our life aims, our life aiming at uh, an eternal inheritance secured by God himself. He uses three adjectives to talk about this inheritance. It is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. It's something that does not get corrupted, is not morally contaminated, and it does not become old or pass away. Now, this is very important. Important in the context of Peter because Peter likes to use language that recalls what happens in the Old Testament. The ones he addresses, he calls them exiles, pilgrims, and it's about going to the promised land. Now think about this. Just like God led his people into the promised land, even in the midst of their weaknesses and failures, you remember how terrible the people were in their way to the promised land? Well, I would say that God also will lead us into inheritance in spite of our weaknesses and failures. See, Peter knew that that was right. He had failed in a very shameful way, and so have we. So it's important for him to say that this inheritance is not something that we miss out on. We're not going to fall on our way there. It's not like we don't get in, because by God's grace, it is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. And there's a contrast, too. See, the earthly land allowed corruption and filth to go into it, and the invasions destroyed it. It eventually faded. But that won't happen to the heavenly city. Nothing like that enters the heavenly inheritance. 
So Peter is using Old Testament story to include his readers in that story. He's giving them that identity of those who are walking towards an inheritance, and there's no one who can take that away from them. Not even their failures. Not even their failures. How do you respond to that? Well, the passage mentions at least three responses. Praise, hope, rest. Praise, hope, and rest. He starts the passage with, with, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's, that's praise right there. And, and this is beautiful if you consider that the man who's writing this is the one who cried bitterly after not hearing the Lord's warning, right? And now he's rejoicing with joy inexpressible. He's rejoicing. He's declare, joyfully declaring the praises of his God. It is so important to be reminded that praises are a great remedy for those who are suffering. I love the story of David when he writes Psalm 34, and he says, I will bless you all the time. He's doing this after he almost got caught by Saul and his hunters. He almost got caught. And when God frees him, he says, I will praise you all the time, every day. Every moment is a moment to praise you, Lord. It is so important to be cured of our sufferings and anxieties with praises. Hope. It talks about, Peter talks about a living hope. The focus of our new birth is on the future. I read a commentator who, who had an interesting comment. Uh, he says, birth, while wonderful, does not exist for itself but rather to start a child on its way to maturity and adult life. I mean, that's what we expect of our children, right? Our hope is that babies will grow. That's what we want to see in them. That's the natural process. Now, for spiritual babies, this is the great part. There is a certainty, a living hope. They will necessarily grow. Maybe not as fast as we would like. I mean, maybe not at the time that we would like but they will necessarily grow. So there's no investment in the kingdom that is useless. No, I'm investing in God's people, but you know, no return. No, that's impossible. Because he makes every investment count for something. There's living hope. And there's rest. And rest is not in the passage explicitly, but I'm taking that as an implicit uh, concept that I can extract from the phrase, by God's power are being guarded. Verse 5, by God's power are being guarded. I mean, isn't that beautiful? We can rest assured that we are safely being led to our future salvation. So uh, this is our Lord's protection. It's, it's uh, described in these first three verses. And there's one detail here that I need to expand a little bit on. Um, the Lord's protection is not monergistic. This is a theological term to talk about one doing the work. No, in this passage, there's actually synergy because God guards us through our faith. That's what the passage says in verse 5. Guarded, look at this, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. So if faith, in a way, is the means through which we're protected by our Lord, so then um, what do we need to learn about that faith? And that's the second part of the passage. From verses 6 to 9, he describes the present purpose how God takes care of our faith. 
Now look at this, how God takes care of our faith. We need God even to respond to his initiatives, right? This is grace upon grace. So how does God take care of it? And what God does is first he teaches us and he works through us joy in the midst of griefs. That's what he's describing here. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while. Verse, I'm reading verse 6. If necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. See, this apparent paradox uh, of joy in the midst of grief, uh, griefs is possible when hope is the focus. See, when, when he says, in this we rejoice, he's talking about hope. So with hope in view... When eternity is in view, trials seem short. See, um, Paul talks about that in Romans 8. Paul's a man who suffered quite a bit. When you read Romans 8, you say, Paul, did you really mean that? He said, oh, the sufferings of this world, nothing compared to the, you know, the eternal bliss. So he's not being demeaning. He's not saying, oh, you're suffering, it's nothing. No, it hurts. I know it hurts. But when you have a broader perspective, it becomes so small. That's what he's saying. When eternity is in view, it changes entirely your perspective on suffering. He also talks about how trials will purify our faith. There's a, sen a, a, a phrase here that gets commentators uh, um, discussing. It talks about if necessary. Now, it's possible to translate, it translate since it is necessary, but let's take it as an if, as a condition. What Peter seems to be saying is that... Um, the, the trial seems to be God's common method of cleansing his people. That's why in, in chapter 4, verse 12, he'll say, um, and I mentioned this earlier in, in the sermon, but I want to read it now. First uh, Peter 4, 12 says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you. Do not be surprised. As though something strange were happening to you. It's not strange. It's sort of God's common method of purifying, cleansing his people. So what comes out of the fire is genuine faith. That's what the passage is talking about. And see, Peter learned that. We know how he fell before the resurrection, but after the resurrection, he's part of that group of the apostles who suffer and get beaten for Christ. And Acts chapter 5 said that they rejoiced. Rejoiced. They didn't just endure no, they rejoiced because they suffered for Christ's name. So he understood what it means to have joy in the midst of griefs because trials are important to purify our faith. And tested faith, genuine faith, will lead us to glory. That's what the passage does at the end when it says that the result of being approved is final glory. Verse 7 says, so that the test of genuineness of your faith, at the end of the verse says, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So the whole point is to take us to glory. So how does this, what does it look like? What is this faith? In verse 8 and 9, he says, it's a faith that you love him without seeing him. It's a faith that you serve and you suffer and you believe in him and rejoice with joy inexpressible without seeing him. Can you sense how important that is for witnessing? I mean, he's writing to Christians who are suffering in the whole, you know, a whole section of Asia Minor and he wants them to suffer in a way that they not only endure, but rejoice. So that people say, why do you rejoice? I mean, enduring would be good enough. Why do you rejoice? It's because 
I love him. It's because I believe in him. That's what he's talking about. Now, the last section of our text, I want to say very briefly so I can close. It talks about a past inquired about. And uh, in this past, is the prophets, they, they searched, they inquired, they tried to understand some of the revelation they, they received. Now, not of all of it was clear, but there's one thing that seemed clear to them. That Christ, that's what the Holy Spirit revealed to them. That Christ, now I'm reading from verse 11. Inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. See, this is amazing because the prophets, even though they don't understand everything, they're actually talking about a grace that is to you, Peter's saying. It's to you. See, they knew they were not serving themselves, but you, it, talks, it says in verse 12. What they were saying didn't come about, didn't, uh, was not fulfilled in their days, but in your day. So they were talking and serving you, talking to you. But what did they get it that is so important and that is so hard to get? Is that the Messiah had to go to suffering before getting to glory. Now that's something hard to learn. And it took a while for Peter to understand. Remember when Jesus says, oh, I need to suffer and die and be risen. He said, Lord, just stop talking about that. You know, you're a Matt. We love you. You're special to us. But don't, you know, don't talk about going away. Don't talk about having to suffer. He, it took a while for him to understand the importance of the path to glory have to go through suffering. And that's what the prophets intently searched and tried to understand better and better. And now, it's become clear. So Peter's teaching about that. What men in the past wanted to understand so well. Even angels become astonished at our Lord's protection, and they long to search more into that. So, basically what I'm saying, and the importance of understanding is, is that Luke teaches us that we need to grow because we're often ignorant of our own spiritual frailties and skeptic about God's protection when we're facing trials. Now, we don't, I'm not saying that we say it out loud. Most of us are hesitant to say this, but our actions reflect where we stand upon. And the manner in which we grow is by having a renewed view of the grandeur of the gospel in our preservation. That's what Peter understood was important for his readers to, to know and to hear again. And that's what I believe I need to hear again, time and again, and you too. We need to savor on the gospel. That's what gives us the drive to obedience through a life full of trials. And as I close, I want to say that uh, not only for you, for your benefit, for your delight, but think of people who need this kind of encouragement. Uh, please, encourage gospel conversations on a daily basis. You know, if you have contact with people that need this kind of comfort, encourage gospel conversations. Give them a grand view of God's providential protection. There's nothing that compares to that so that they become more humbled in their understanding of how they can't do it on their own. It's not true that what doesn't kill them makes them stronger. It's going to lead them to hell, as we heard this morning. So encourage them to see God with the grandeur that Peter became uh, to understand.
Our feeble structure does not help us to go through suffering unless we renew our delight and fondness for the saving work of our triune God. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, there's so much about your protection, about your providence, about the way you preserve us that we need to learn. And tonight was just a reminder that if people like Peter took a while to get it, it might be true of us as well. If we're facing trials, if our faith seems to show itself inconsistent, if we're not always firm, if our sins keep coming back, if we have not encouraged others in the gospel, Lord, help us tonight. Help us have a better view of your grandeur, of how grand it is your salvation, how beautiful and how magnificent. Allow us to be inserted in the story as pilgrims who are going to the promised land to get an inheritance that is imperishable that does not fade, does not corrupt. Lord, it is beautiful to know that all these things are in store for us and they won't be lost. Even when we feel lost, even when we feel we've failed again. So encourage us tonight one more time and lead us into gospel conversations, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's sing together our song, He Will Hold Me Fast.
Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, to the only God our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. May the grace of Jesus Christ and the love of God the Father and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be be with you all. Amen.